Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're hanging out today. Um, uh, I'll give you a little bit, uh, I'll tell you a little bit about where we're going this morning. We're going to dive into uh, this text in Ephesians 2, just these few verses to talk about what does it mean to be a local church following Jesus together? What does it mean for us to be a church following Jesus together? Those of you guys that have been with us over this last year, we, we just recently wrapped up sort of this year-long journey looking at the life of Jesus in the, in the Gospel of Mark. And uh, uh, we've been digging into Mark to, to look at Jesus' life to look at his ministry, uh, to look at all that he did and, and who he came to be for us as the Savior of the world. And we finished, of course, uh, at the Gospel of Mark by talking about the resurrection uh, on Easter. Last week, we sort of dug deeper into uh, what this, this whole concept of hope in, in light of the resurrection means. And after the resurrection... What happened is Jesus commissioned his disciples to do the work of church planting. After the resurrection, Jesus commissioned his disciples to create communities of Jesus that bring light into a dark world. And so uh, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to sort of build on top of that theme. We're going to start a new series through the book of Philippians next week, which I'm excited about. Uh, but this morning, I want us to talk about what does it mean to be a local church following Jesus together. And the book of Ephesians is written by this guy named Paul. He's a new apostle. Uh, he writes a letter to one of those churches that they planted, that the apostles planted. He wrote a, a letter to this church in a place called Ephesus. And in our passage this morning, he reminds this church, he writes them a pastoral letter just with a lot of love and affection for them. And in that letter, he reminds them what it means to be a church. And so this morning, we're going to peel back all the layers in this text to see that a faithful church that is filled with the life of Jesus that we've been talking about over this last year uh, is a community that is centered on Christ and maturing on mission together. It's a simple sort of summary of what the church is. is a community centered on Christ and maturing on mission together. And so we're going to unpack those three things. First, we're going to look at uh, how the church is a community. Secondly, we're going to talk about what it means to say that it's a community centered on Christ. And lastly, we're going to look at what it means to be maturing on mission together. Let's look at that first point. Uh, the church is a community. Community. Let's start reading in verse 19. Verse 19, Paul says to this church, he says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens or foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. 
You'll notice right there at the beginning of verse 19, he starts with this phrase, so then. So then. Your translation, uh, if you brought a Bible this morning, might say therefore or consequently. This is a transition word, a transition phrase that tells us that what Paul is about to say refers back to something he already said. Does that make sense? Right? So in the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2, right before this text, Paul says in Ephesians 2 verse 1, he says that we were dead in our sins. We were dead in our sins. We followed the world's patterns. We were satisfied by those sins, by our pattern of sin. But then, because of God's great love and mercy, Ephesians 2 tells us that that in God's great love and his great mercy, he made us alive. He made us alive. He gave us new life in Christ. We are saved by grace through faith. That means this isn't a gift that we can earn. It's only a gift that we can receive. And because of this, because of this grace, because of this gospel, because of this good news, now everyone, Paul says in Ephesians 2, now everyone, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, in other words, whether you're religious or irreligious, We can all miss the mark. And all of us have now been brought together as a family, as a church, marked by Jesus and the grace that he's given to us. And it's with that in mind, it's with all that in mind that we we pick up in our text in verse 19. And so all of that is contained in those words, so then. He's saying, in light of the truth that God has saved you from your old ways, the the fact that, that, that all that God has done for us in Jesus, in light of that, we are no longer foreigners and strangers. We are citizens and members of God's household. Now, what does he mean, you are no longer strangers and foreigners? Because the people there, the church in Ephesus, they weren't like literal foreigners. They weren't actual exiles. They were living in their native land. They spoke the native language. They were surrounded by people that they grew up in the same cul-de-sacs with, right? The, 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 uh, the, the, the community of Ephesus was not a com- commuter type of, of community. They weren't literal foreigners. So in what way were they foreigners and aliens or strangers? It's in a spiritual sense. In a spiritual sense, Paul's saying something that every human heart knows deep down inside. Regardless of your religious upbringing, every human being has this sense that apart from God, we're never really at home. We're never really at home. We're spiritually homeless. The musician Tom Waits, he wrote a song about how we're all like what he calls rain dogs. That's a dog that like lives outside in the rain. It's, it's lost outside in the rain, and so all the scents are washed away by the water, and it has no idea how to get back home. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came, to help us find our way back home in the truest sense of the word, not just in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. He came to bring us back to God, our maker, but also to each other. Also to each other. You see, Paul loves using graphic imagery in all of his letters. And here he gives us three images. 
three images about what it means, what it looks like to be the church. Notice first he calls us fellow citizens with the saints. Fellow citizens with the saints. Now, those of us in this room who grow up Roman Catholic, maybe you have this idea like I did when I was a kid that saints, like Augustine and, and, and Patrick, were kind of like superheroes, right? Endowed with super spiritual abilities, like DC has Superman, Marvel has Spider-Man, and the church has like intercessory prayer man, right? Like that's our view of what it means to be a, a saint. But the Bible, though, says that anyone who's in Christ, anybody who has faith in Jesus is called a saint. Anyone saved by Jesus Christ and part of his family is a saint. And when Paul uses this language of being fellow citizens with the saints, what he's saying is, look, we used to be sojourners. We used to be strangers in this world, but now... Now because of Jesus, now because of Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 10, because of the grace we've received and the faith we place in him, now because of that, we have the rights of citizenship in the kingdom of God. Now, it's hard for us to really feel the significance and to feel the weight of what it means in the first century to go from a stranger and foreigner to a citizen. I mean, we live in South Orange County in the 21st century, right? Like, it doesn't matter if you're a citizen or not. You still have many benefits, right? It doesn't matter if you're not a citizen. If you dial 911, you'll get a first responder in minutes, we have a number of first responders that, that, that come, go to our church, LEOs, firemen, uh, medics. And, and one night, there's a group of us sitting down, and one of them was sharing stories, kind of explaining how it doesn't matter how, how minor uh, the, the reason for the call is. I mean, you could just have like a small headache. You call 911 for that, you'll get a first responder within minutes. Like they have to respond regardless of who you are and what your ailment is, whether you're a citizen or not. You have that privilege. You have that benefit. You can be a homeless migrant with a small headache, and they'll respond. That's one of the things that makes us so privileged and blessed to live in a place like this. But if you turn back to the first century, non-citizens in Rome, in this area, were not treated kindly. There's a moment we read about in the New Testament where this, this mob, this whole gang of people just jumps Paul. They grab him and they drag him down the road. They've got rocks and clubs. They're ready to beat him to a bloody pulp because they don't like the gospel that he's preaching. And they're getting ready to beat him until Paul says, wait, I'm a Roman citizen. I belong to the, to the Roman Empire. I'm a Roman citizen. And, they, and then they stop all of a sudden. They go, wait, hold up. He's a Roman citizen? This Christian preacher is a Roman citizen? Well, then he should get a trial. He's protected, right? You see, back then, it, it meant something profound, something significant, something weighty to say that you went from an exile to a citizen. And Paul's saying here, look, we used to be foreigners. We used to be strangers, aliens in a strange land. 
But in Christ now, we become fellow citizens with the saints in the kingdom of God. Scriptures are telling us here that there is a profound new identity that we have. Jesus spoke the kingdom of peace to people all over. He brought us together as his family to be card-carrying citizens of this new spiritual nation, the very kingdom of God. We have our own rights and we have our own customs as, as God's kingdom people now. Secondly, he says we are members of the household of God. This is the second image he gives us. Members of the household of God. He says, look, we're not just citizens, but we're also members of God's family. We're family. We're home now. You're no longer a rain dog. You're no longer an exile. You're no longer a stranger in a foreign land. You now have a spiritual home with the people of God. That is a fundamental reality of what it means to be a church community. You see, the Bible tells us that the church is not primarily a place, but a people. So we talk about church like I'm going to church this morning, like I'm going to a place, and in a sense, we can still say that. But it'd be truer to say, I'm going to be with my church. I'm going to be with my people, my family. Bible tells us that the church is not a place, but a people. There's no more Jerusalem for us. There's no Mecca for us. There's no holy place, no temple, because it's no longer about a location, but a family. And that, by the way, is one of the things that I love about church planting. This sort of janky setup that we have kind of confronts us with this beautiful reality that the church is not about some sacred, pretty building, but a sacred, blood-bought, and redeemed people. Love that. Love the enthusiasm about that. You see, we're filled with the Spirit of God as a people. Just look around this space. I mean, they have seventh graders having assemblies here in this room. Like, how spiritually intense can I get with this place when my seventh grade rear end was sitting in these seats in 1995? You're trying to do the math. I turned 36 later this year. Read the next two verses with me. He says, we're we're citizens, we're members of the household of God. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. That's the third image that Paul gives us. He, He likens the church to a temple that's joined together. Pieces of a temple, like bricks in a temple, joined together. He says, so the community of Christ is described in these verses as fellow citizens, then members of a family household, and finally there's a temple. And there's, there's, we're going to talk more on the significance of this temple imagery in a moment. But first, I want to point out how the intensity of the imagery Paul's using just sort of builds on each other, right? Like if you're a fellow citizen, you can live miles apart from each other. If you're in the same family, the household, You can be down the hall from each other. But if we're like the structure of a temple, we're like bricks and stones cemented together. Jesus, our cornerstone. 
You see, that's what the gospel does. It doesn't just save us to God. It saves us into a new community. All right? Don't miss that. See, we, we live in the West, and so we like to talk about like the gospel and our Christianity as our personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's just truth to that, right? That's a very real, profound uh, reality that we are personally saved as individuals to God, reconciled to God. But it's not just that. It's not just an individualistic faith. It doesn't, the, the gospel doesn't just save us as individuals to God. It saves us into a community, a family. Joseph Hellman, he's a, a professor up at Biola. He articulates it this way. He says, the idea of salvation cannot be reduced to a personal relationship with Jesus. Again, it's not that it isn't a personal relationship with Jesus. It's that it can't be reduced to just that. He continues and says, God's plan is much more encompassing. God intends for salvation to be a community-creating event. Amen? You see, the salvation of Jesus Christ doesn't just call us into community. It creates that community. If you're in Christ, then you are part of that community. You're part of that community where many of us are, are, are disobediently not, not, not living in light of that. But if you belong to Jesus, you're renewed, you're recreated into a community, into a family. The gospel is the most unifying, the most shaping force there is. It changes your identity, who you are. It changes your worldview, how you understand your world and your place in it. It changes your purpose, why you exist and who you exist for. And so all the people who've been shaped by this gospel in this way are more bound together than any other group, any other tribe, any other team, any other union, any other group. The gospel binds us together like nothing else. Which brings us into our second point. We're a community that is centered on Christ. Centered on Christ. Read verse 20 again with me. Paul says we're fellow citizens and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets who being the cornerstone? Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now there's a, a lot going on in this one verse, but he's saying, Paul's saying the family of Jesus, the church, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now what does that mean? What does that mean? In other words, he's talking about the New Testament and the Old Testament. He's talking about the Word of God. The apostles, those are the New Testament writers. The prophets, that summarizes the Old Testament writers. Paul says that all the scriptures, the Word of God, the Bible, is our true and our, our, our solid foundation. So the very bedrock, the very foundation of how God builds up his people as a household, as a temple, who've been saved from death to life and called together as a family, the very bedrock, the very foundation is the scriptures, the word of God. You can't shift your foundation. You can't trade in your foundation. If your foundation shifts, then your house is going to start having cracks in the wall and in the paint. It'll start to fall apart. 
You see, the early church, the first century church, the early church, they viewed the scriptures as not merely one thing among many in the life of a church, but rather the means by which the church exists. The word of God applied to hearts by the spirit of God makes new Christians and builds up old ones. It's always our foundation. We never move on from this foundation. Whether you're new to the faith, whether you're a veteran in the Christian faith, we never move on from this foundation. In the same way that plants need water to sprout and grow, the church needs the word. It needs the word. That's why since the days of Jesus, Christians have been gathering to hear the word preached, to sing the word with songs, to celebrate the word, the good news, uh, through communion. That's why at King's Cross, at this church family, we are committed to expositional preaching of the word here. You see, there's two kind. There's if you want to like sort of oversimplify it into two categories that you can have motivational preaching on one hand or expository preaching on the other. Motivational preaching is when the preacher comes up with something inspirational to say, right? Like he says, I've got something inspirational to say. And then he finds a verse or translation to back up that personally inspired idea. Expositional preaching, on the other hand, brings out what the text itself says and exposes it to view. That's why we go through passages of Scripture like we're doing this morning. right? Motivational preaching makes us feel all good, inspired for a hot minute, but then it fades. Because it's just the ideas of a dude, right? The Word of God, though, when it's exposed, it begins to our hearts. It begins to take root and shape us. And then we start moving the ball down the court. That's real spiritual life. You see, my job, my job as your pastor, if this is your church home, my job as your pastor is not to give you my personal opinion on how to live a victorious life or to offer you a list of hot tips for living. I don't get to preach because I'm inspired. Some of you are like, we know that. I get to preach because the word is inspired. The word of God is inspired. My job is to mine this book, to mine this passage for spiritual food so that we can all feast on it. I want you to see something here in verse 20. He says, the foundation is uh, being the, the, the prophets and in the apostles. He says, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. What does that mean? What does that mean, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone? You see, Paul knows something that we can find out by reading the scriptures. And that's that at the center of all the scriptures, at the center of all the Bible is Jesus himself. He's the point. He's the point. The Old Testament is filled with promises that foretell him. The New Testament is filled with stories and truths about how he fulfills them. It's all about Jesus. Everything rises and falls with Jesus. That's what it means when we say Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. He is the very center. He is the point. He's what holds it all together. When you lay the foundation of a building, the way construction worked back then, when you lay the foundation of a building, the most important thing you need to lay is the cornerstone. 
You need to lay the cornerstone first, and you need to lay the cornerstone correctly. It is the most crucial block, the most crucial stone in all the foundation. If you lay a cornerstone incorrectly, or if you put down the wrong cornerstone, then whenever you're building on top of that is going to crumble. You know why self-righteous religion doesn't work? You know why our idols don't satisfy? You know why following culture doesn't work? Why moralism leaves us burned out? Why people fail us? Why politicians fail us? Why when we place our faith in church leaders, eventually they'll fail us? It's because if if the cornerstone of our lives and the cornerstone of our church isn't Jesus, then sooner or later it all crumbles and falls. That's why you might notice we talk about Jesus a lot here. We talk about Jesus a lot. He's the center and the point. The, the, the part, he is the central point of the big idea of every sermon. That doesn't mean that our sermons aren't practical. It means that the most practical thing that we can do is show how we need to point back to Jesus. And so we talk about how Jesus changes the way that that we relate to one another in our marriages, how Jesus changes the way you relate to your kids. He changes the way you view your singleness. He changes the way that you suffer, the way that you work, the way that you celebrate, the way that we treat money and other people. And we'll talk about all kinds of things that we deal with in real life because the Bible does. But just like the Bible does, we will always talk firstly about Jesus because he is our chief cornerstone. He changes everything. Leads us into our third point. I want us to see now how the church as a community centered on Christ needs to be maturing on our mission. Maturing on mission. Read verse 21 with me. It says... Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone in whom, this is speaking about Jesus, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. The idea in this verse is this. Paul says joined together. He says built together into a holy temple in the Lord. A holy temple. The idea here is that if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you're being called into a deep, authentic relationship with the Christian community for the purpose of growing and serving together, set apart for God's purposes. That's what it means to be holy. We're set apart. This temple is unlike any other temple. This cornerstone is unlike any other cornerstone. That means this people, this family is unlike any other family. We are set apart by God, set apart for God, to delight in God and to walk in the ways of God through Jesus Christ. You see, our individualistic culture is at odds with this. We believe if you want to have a meaningful mission that you've got to follow the sovereign self. We think about self over the group. I mean, this is the generation that literally had the word selfie added to the dictionary. 
But if you press into this temple image, if you press into this temple image, you see how God comes down, not into you as just an individual stone, but his presence and power comes into the whole temple, just like it did in the Old Testament. He indwells us together in our worshiping together, in our, in our, in our praying together, and in our growing together. You know what the significance of the temple is? We've talked about this a few times over the last year, but the, in, the spiritual, in the spiritual reality of all that the Old Testament is, in the spiritual world of the Old Testament, the gravitational center of how God worked was the temple, right? In the Old Testament, that was the gravitational center of everything that happened was at the temple. That's where people met with God. That's where heaven touched earth. That's where sin was forgiven. That's where the glory of God shined out for all to see to the nations. The temple was God's way of providing a home for his people to find help and healing, but also to be a beacon of hope to the rest of the broken world. That's what the temple was. And so now Paul says, all those things, because Jesus came, made the temple obsolete. That's not the temple's role anymore. That's the church's role. That's the church's role. Paul says, now we're joined together, growing into a holy temple in the Lord. So now it's the church, a people, not a place where the presence of God is met. Now it's the church, a people, not a place where hope is found. It's a community that gathers for worship to celebrate that God is with us in Jesus, that our sins are forgiven in Jesus. And it's also a community that's set apart to scatter, to spread the glory of God. You see, under the old covenant, the temple was the point that was, was the, the point in place that God extended his glory from. But under the new covenant, Jesus is now extending his glory through his people. The Bible calls us ambassadors, the church. This is why King's Cross is passionate about church planning and making disciples. Because we believe that every community needs a variety of churches of different sizes, of different styles to reach different kinds of people. Together, we, we all have the same mission, though, which is to connect people to the life-giving message of Jesus and to come alongside them as the family of Jesus, to help them grow in their faith. You see, this, this idea of being the church joined together as a holy temple, that's why the early church had regular gatherings, large ones and small ones. God's people throughout history generally met on Sundays. They called it the Lord's Day. Because it's the day that was set apart where Jesus rose from the dead. So even just the act of us gathering on Sundays like this is a public statement to the world that you belong to the risen Jesus. So gathering like this, gathering weekly, committing to the weekly gathering of God's people in a place like this to hear the word, to sing the word, to celebrate the word, to receive communion, that is a countercultural statement to the world that says, I belong to Jesus, the one who rose from the grave. And these are my people. He is our God. He's our chief cornerstone. 
The early church also had small gatherings. We have those too. We call them home groups. You have a church background, you may know them as community groups or missional communities or, or small groups or life groups. It's all the same thing. It's just a small group of people meeting together in homes to learn from the Bible, to talk about Jesus, to grow in our faith together. We're, we're restarting uh, you know, those dinner parties that we had too. Give us an opportunity, uh, in addition to your home group, to, to, to meet with, with, with the broader church community uh, here at King's Cross. To invite your friends and neighbors into that space uh, once a month as we just enjoy good food and good drink and good fellowship together. You see, the Bible says that we need each other to grow together. We need each other to grow together. Verse 22, he says, In him, in Jesus, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see, this last verse here tells us that in Jesus, we're built together in a dwelling place. A dwelling place where God dwells, where God's Spirit dwells. And a dwelling place, like an actual dwelling place, requires many stones, right? Many stones with different shapes and sizes. It's this picture not of identical bricks, but stones with their own individuality, with their own texture and shape, where only when they're together do they achieve the structural purpose of what it means to be the household of God, what it means to be a holy temple. You see, that's, that's just like us in this room. Each of us comes to the table. We each have our own unique gifts and talents and stories that we bring to the table. None of us is gifted in everything. We complement each other in ways that make us more structurally sound when we're together. C.S. Lewis, in his book uh, called God on the Dock, uh, C.S. Lewis, if you don't know, he's, he was this, this guy who was a scholar, a former atheist that came to faith when he was working for the academy, wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, Mere Christianity, a lot of uh, apologetic books and stories. Uh, C.S. Lewis ta- tells in his book, God in the, on the Dock, he, he tells this story about how uh, he once had this group of friends, there's three of them, inseparable. His two other friends were called Ronald and Charles. And Lewis, his friend Ronald and Charles, they spent almost every day together. Almost every day together. Even till, till later in, in, in life. The best of friends. And Lewis talks about how when, when Charles, one of the other three, died, there was a great just grieving and sadness that came over his heart. But he had this thought to himself. He's like, you know, I'm sad to have Charles gone, but now I'm going to have more of Ronald than I did before. I'm going to enjoy that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make the most of that. Months after Charles' death, he had this sort of epiphany he realized he, 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 didn't have, uh, he didn't have more of Ronald, but he had less of Ronald. Because he said there was a side of Ronald that Charles, the one who passed away, brought out that Lewis himself couldn't. Right? We all complement each other. Lewis is, makes a point that this is what Christian community is like. We need each other. We bring things out in each other. And one person brings something out, he sharpens us in one way that another person like, like can't. 
And that person encourages us and blesses us in ways that, that the other person can't. That's what it means to be joined together, built up together as a holy temple, as a household of God. You see, the church is more than just some place that we go to. It's a people to whom we belong, to whom we belong. It's a fellowship where Jesus is our center, and his message is the foundation on which we stand. It involves mutual love and care and authenticity and intentionality. And it involves a mission where we take the hope, the help, and the healing that we receive from Jesus and we share it with others together so that they can have the joy of Jesus too. That's what the church is all about. That's what the church is all about. That's what we're saved into. You know what? I know that that sometimes church church can be awkward, right? You got a small church plant like this. Sometimes it can feel even more awkward, right? You can't you can't hide in the crowds of a, of a big church. You got to tell someone your name, right? It can be hard. Church can be uncomfortable. It can be inconvenient. You know, you know what else is like that? An actual family. An actual family. See, but this family, our spiritual families, purchased by Jesus. We're being shaped and formed and molded by him. Where his gospel is preached, where his grace is celebrated, where the lost can find a place to call home. The church has the hope of the world, and it's being built and formed together for that purpose. Maybe you came here this morning as someone who's not part of a church community. And I want you to consider, regardless of where you're at on the, the, the faith spectrum, that, that Jesus and his kingdom might just be what your heart has been longing for. And the church might just be the community that you just didn't realize you were made to be a part of. If you're new here and you, you want to grow with a church family that, that loves Jesus, that stands on the foundation of the scriptures and cares a lot about people, then, man, we hope you feel welcome. We hope that you'll make King's Cross your home. And if not, we'd love to help you find another church home, honestly. We'd, we're all for other churches that, that are, are founded on the Bible and keep Jesus at the center. And if this is not the place for you, we'll help you find another church like that in the area. But if you're already here at King's Cross, if you look around and you're, you've already said, you know, these are my people, this is my family, this is my home, I want you to understand that this is still an important thing for us to consider today, to be reminded of, Today, why is this important for us to come back to, to, to read here in Ephesians 2 before we start a new, new series next week? Why is this important for us today? Why is it relevant? Because as a new church community, like a new, new churches, things are constantly changing, right? We have new people. We have new ministries that are, are forming. We have, we, and we want you to, to see that in, 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 in all the change in our, our growing and in all the newness of this, that in the middle of it all, our foundation is strong. Our foundation will never change. 
Our commitment is the same commitment of the historic church to be a community founded on the word, centered on Christ, and maturing on mission. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.